Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. The only way you get good as a comedian is to suck a lot. You have to really be bad and eat it a lot to get good, and there's no way around it. Nobody just goes on and is great all the time, and you get better by being bad. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. My guest today needs uh, no introduction, but coincidentally, I'm going to give her one anyway because it's unbelievable and I'm excited (laughs) and I'm happy and we're going to have the greatest time. Carol Leifer is a four-time Emmy nominee for her writing on such shows as Seinfeld, Modern Family, Saturday Night Live, The Larry Sanders Show, and seven Academy Award telecast she has starred in five of her own comedy specials which have aired on showtime hbo and comedy central her previous book was the national bestseller when you lie about your age the terrorist win and she's currently available amazon available <laughs> barnes on and amazon, noble, barnes and, noble. <laughs> and carol is currently the co-executive producer of devious maids on lifetime her new book how to succeed in business without really crying is a hilarious collection of essays which chart her extraordinary three-decade journey through show business illuminating her many triumphs and some missteps along the way mm-hmm. and offering valuable lessons for women and men in any profession It's part memoir, part guide to life, and all incredibly funny. How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying offers all of us tips and tricks for getting ahead, finding our way, and opening locked doors, even if you have to use a sledgehammer. Please welcome my guest today, the lovely, the talented Carol Leifer. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. All right. Everybody take your seats now. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's such a lovely tribute to start our podcast with but you know I really do talk a lot about that in my book because 
you know, I think people should just be nice to people just because it's the right thing to do. But especially I'm when you came over to me that night at Dangerfields, I was just doing what other comics did for me when I was starting out and going over and being curious. It's always nice to be kind to your brethren of whatever you do for a living, because my book is not just about show business. It's really about everything. But it really does also. um, And I talk about it, too. As a business person, it's really smart to be nice because, man, can that trip you up when you're an asshole to people and you see it as someone like myself who I've been in the business now. I mean, For almost over 30 years, right? Yeah, almost 40 years. 37, I believe. Yes. I'm going into my 38th, which is like crazy. Well, you look crazy. Like your 38th. Oh, Barry, finish your thought, but thanks. Um, <laughs> No, but I I mean it because I went and pitched a show to NBC a couple weeks ago and meeting the people. Hi, Harry. And and then this woman says, oh, we know each other. Oh, really? How's that? Yeah, I was your agent's assistant at CAA. And it's like, oh, Shannon, hey, how are you? Great to see you. And you know how nice that was to sit down for a pitch meeting and know I'm always nice to assistants because I know that's a shitty job and you get dumped on a lot. But I always go out of my way to be nice to assistants because they're good people. And look at that. If I had been the shitty person to the assistant on the phone, now what a payback that would be. And now you're pitching to me, fucker. (laughs) Okay, good luck, you know? So, it's good to be nice. Now, I remember a time when you've been so nice to me, and I finally <laughs> had the opportunity to bring you into my comedy club in, in Boston called Play It Again, Sam. Okay. I thought it was the Boston Comedy Club. Well, I'm wrong. Well, that was in New York. Oh, okay. But in, in Boston. Oh, in Boston. I had kept in contact with you, and I had had Paula Poundstone do the first headline. I never, it was a showcase club, as many New York clubs were, where comics work for $6 and a bucket of chicken. Yeah. But I had taken a chance and booked Paula Poundstone in for a, a week, and she sold out every show. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if I'm going to bring Paula in and this works, I've got to get Carol. And mm-hmm. I brought you in uh, for a week. And I'll never forget this because... Um, I actually was fearful because I wanted everything to be perfect for you. But I realized I made a critical mistake and I was trying to figure out a way to make it right. What was that? The The critical mistake I made. The check bounced? No, (laughs) no. (laughs) I wish that wasn't all it was. No, what happened was is that I remembered the HBO special and how these comedians went on and they were dirty or they were not doing the right kind of material. Right. And you were killing afterwards. And I thought there was a young comedian that I was working with at the time when I first started as a manager named Nick DiPaolo. Okay. Yes. No, Nick. Love Nick. Is a brilliant, brilliant stand-up comedian but one of the darkest (laughs) souls and the material very blue and um and you were hanging out in the dressing room and i had said i just have an opening act i'm putting on here whatever and you kept coming out and saying who's the opening act i would be talking to you and i was (laughs) sort of blocking the doorway and i was afraid you'd see something but i was silly in a way because you could handle anything but you were very, very clear on what you wanted, how you wanted it. And you went on and you destroyed the place. And it was just amazing. But I knew that Nick wasn't going to be on that show anymore. <laughs> right. I had to put some, I think I put Jonathan Katz on or something oh, okay. on the rest of the show. Yeah. No. And I still have that now when I uh, do my stand-up. You know, who you follow is important. Nick is brilliant and hysterical. But when you work... 
like I do in a lower kind of key, lower uh, tempo kind of thing, it's hard for me to follow guys who are big and brash and uh, don't work clean because I always worked clean, which is also another nice thing about my career at this stage. You know, I started a curse for a while and I remember Jay Leno coming into the improv and taking me aside and saying, you know, you're good. You're really good, but you're cursing too much on stage as a crutch. And that's going to really you win the battle, but lose the war. I'd keep it clean. And now I have a really fantastic corporate speaking career because I can go and perform for these corporations and keep it really PG. And that's so much I go back to that piece of advice from Jay Leno, you know. But, um, yeah, who you follow is very important. You like to bring your uh, – now I like to bring my own kind of people, you know, when you can do that. What comedians move you that no one knows about? Like, who are the people that you find brilliant that you, if you were Rodney and you had your own HBO Young Comedian special, some of the people that you find really special that you would give a shot to? Um, I, you know, I don't think there's anybody brilliant out there who hasn't been discovered yet. I mean, I think they're, uh, the brilliant people are out there and on it. It's just, uh, I always like to follow someone whose tone is kind of like mine. You know what I mean? So. Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I do that. It's interesting what you said about the act when you were a little bit dirty, Jay took you aside. I was at the improv the other night and I saw a young comedian done Letterman about a year ago, Ali Wong. Okay. Okay. Great set on Letterman. Really wonderful. This little petite, you know, five foot woman just killing it on the big stage. It's always Uh interesting to me when you see a little person walk out there and a bit larger. (laughs) Right. And then I went to the improv. I was there and I saw her do an hour and she was doing a lot of blue material. Uh Now it's not my place to take her aside and say anything, but I I was watching. She was killing. Yeah. But I was like, where does it, where do you go? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you go with that? And you, you know where you go and Jay knows where you go and she'll eventually figure it out as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Advice is a tricky thing because you have to be, you know, when I came up with those comedians that you were talking about, it was a very fraternal, uh, 
time of people watching each other. You know, that's always my biggest misconception about people, uh, about stand-up. Two things. It's always that think it was like cutthroat and you're always looking to trip the person up on stage and, you know, very competitive that way. I found it to be the 180 of that. And maybe part of it was also that I was female and a little bit kind of seen as a kid sister and maybe not as competitive with the guys. But people were very great about watching each other, giving each other. I I have tons of advice that I actually share in my book of things that people told me along the way that really turned out to be very smart things. So that's, I think, the biggest misconception about stand-up. But the other thing is that people think that comedians, you know, do you practice in the mirror? (laughs) Like, no, no one ever has practiced in the mirror. I don't know why you think that, but that's so funny to me that people always, you know, think that. But going back to comedians, like there's a guy when I gig, I like to bring along a guy named Bobby Tessel. I know Bobby Tessel. He's from Colorado. He did the he did the Letterman show about yes. uh, seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. He's real solid. Every joke is killer, and it really fits my speed. And I know when I follow Bobby, the audience is warmed up exactly where I want them to be. Like there's a woman, Stephanie Blum, who's very funny. Uh And I used her to open for me, and she's fantastic. The problem is she's a little too much like me. (laughs) <laughs> in the Jewy woman world and all that kind of thing. So as much as I love Stephanie, Bobby might be a better fit. You know what I mean? But I do think the fit is important with a comedian. You know, it's it's definitely, uh, it's a whole show and you want the the pieces of the show to fit nicely. But can I just tell you another story? Yes, you can. And I'm talking about, a lot about my book that's out now, How to Succeed in Business Without Really correct. Crying. And I talk... It's so funny because I chose, there are so many stories in this book about uh, comedians helping other people, comedians helping me, you know, and how nice of you to kind of start the show off that way. It's kind of a theme. It is a theme. But what's great that I wrote about in the book, and I'm so glad that it's down in print now that she's gone, is I have a story about Joan Rivers. Of course you do. Yes, you do. And what happened was I went to a gig, corporate gig. You know, these things are in ballrooms there. I don't bring an agent or manager with me. I show up. I go on stage. I see the mic. I see the stand. I don't see a follow spot. And I'm like, oh, great. Now, what am I going to do? And I go over to the tech guy and I go, hello, I'm the comedian. Stand, Mike. But where's my follow spot? And the guy looked at me like, oh, sorry, Cher. (laughs) We don't have your spotlight, you know? And I was like, no, you don't understand. It's kind of important when the lights are down that it's part of my rider and part of my, the guy could give two shits. So I'm like, all right, great. I'm going to have to, like most comedians do, grin and bear it and just have to go on and do my thing. Well, Joan Rivers barrels in. They had apparently hired her to do five minutes at the top and then bring me on. (laughs) And Joan Rivers comes in, gives me a lovely hello, and then says, where's the follow spot? (laughs) And the tech guy is standing there. And it's one of those great moments of schadenfreude of like, you know, when a guy road rage cuts you off and then you see him a little later, you know, CPH. I mean, the (laughs) cops have, you know, uh, pulled them over. And Joan was like incensed about it. (laughs) And then went on stage and did her thing and then said, okay, I'm only here for five minutes. Your headliner is doing an hour. There's no follow spot. If you don't give her a thousand percent attention, I'm going to take everybody's name here. I'm going to go. I mean, it was so fantastic. And it was the exact 
story I wanted to choose, even before knowing that she would, you know, her untimely death of the greatest act of generosity of all the acts of generosity I had to choose from Joan Rivers shows up and goes, this is bullshit. Okay. And when she spoke, people jumped, you know? Wow. Yeah. I like to go way, 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 way back. Okay. All right. To the way back machine with Sherman and Peabody. Yeah. And I'd like you to take me to where you grew up, your family life mm-hmm. a little bit. Okay. And take me to your first moments when you realized I want to be in this crazy business and what was the inspiration for okay. it? Okay. Well, that happened very early on. Uh, I think for a couple of reasons. I grew up in a little town on Long Island called East Williston, Long Island. And um, the way I always describe it to people, if they've never been to Long Island, um, if they've never been there, every girl in my neighborhood looked like Kenny G. (laughs) 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 Um, But I grew up there, but my biggest comedy influence was my dad because my dad was an optometrist by trade and his name was Seymour. So talk about predestination, (laughs) but he really loved comedy and my family loved comedy. So he played, played comedy albums all the time. I mean, the family could lip sync the 2000 year old man, you know, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner album, but like Alan Sherman records and you know, there was always, it's something I feel is missing in today's culture, you know, with when you were a kid, you were captive to your parents' tastes. And if you were lucky like me and they had really good tastes, especially in comedy, um, I got a real great comedy education, you know, by osmosis. But that kind of doesn't happen now with everybody having their own earbuds, you know. But my dad was funny. He was a joke teller. So I would watch him mesmerize people, you know, telling jokes. I mean, I've still yet to meet a pro who tells a joke better than my dad did. And I could see early on, this is what I wanted to do. And I mean, when I was a kid, I sold tickets around my neighborhood. This is when you could do that as a eight year old kid without getting your head chopped off, you know, and sell tickets and throw shows in the basement you know, of my house. What kind of shows? I don't know. I mean, we'd just get up and do goofy stuff and, you know, a penny a ticket or whatever. I remember like Mr. O'Connor across the street. was like, here's a buck, you know, I'll sell the place out or whatever. But I always wanted, you know, to perform and all that and going on a summer camp and in school, I was in shows and everything. But You know, I start my book by saying, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. And I really feel strongly about that. If you find your passion and you can make your living at it, I mean, then you've hit the jackpot. Absolutely. Yeah. You have hit the jackpot. Yeah. So, you know, it it was really until I went to college in uh, Binghamton, New York, upstate. SUNY Binghamton. SUNY Binghamton. Now it's known as just Binghamton University. I used to own a restaurant across the street from the arena there. Oh, wow. Mm. How did that do? Not well. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, Paul Reiser was in a theater group with me. 
and he was known as the funny guy of the theater group, and I was kind of the funny gal, and we started to date, and he told me, you know, and during the summers, I go down to these comedy clubs. You know, this is when they were first starting springing up. I go down to these nightclubs, and I'm like, who's this guy, like Vic Damone talking about <laughs> nightclubs, you know? And he was like, I go to these audition nights, and I watched Paul, and no surprise, he was amazing from the second he went on stage doing this stuff. I put five minutes together, and I started to do it, too. And lo and behold, you know, we passed these auditions. And When the, you say you passed the auditions for our audience, I don't think they understand what the auditions are to pass for a comedy club, what it means, what you do, like Silver Friedman at well, the Improv. Well, you know, what's so amazing about my comedy you know, journey is that the night that I went on at the comic strip, which is now called Comic Strip Live in New York. 82nd second, I believe. Right. Between 82 and 83. And Paul and I went on. The MC that night was Jerry Seinfeld, who passed us on the audition, which basically meant they liked your five minutes. And it was like the big crown and glory of now you can hang out. And that was a big deal. And the night that I went on a Catch a Rising Star, Larry David was the MC who passed me there. So I literally go back to my day one of show business with these guys. I mean, it's really phenomenal. I always say it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. And in your book, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying. Yes, love it, Barry. I, be <laughs> I believe you talk about a situation <laughs> on Seinfeld when they were hiring you as a writer when you interviewed with them. They felt like you were the kind of a nice person, a really nice person. And the quote was, I believe, a person who could be a great hang. The easy hang. The easy I, hang. I do See, talk I about that. Things. Yes, See, yes. research. Right. Talk about that in the book. Well, I knew those guys, obviously, for a long time. And I was lucky. It was a nice piece of serendipity that I had no sitcom experience when they were looking specifically to hire writers who had no sitcom experience. Larry David, in particular, was like, I don't want anybody who's been corrupted by the system. You know, that's the kind of disdain that he had for sitcoms at the time. So these seasoned writers who had been on, you know, the big shows at the time, Roseanne and Murphy Brown, they were turned down. So it was a lucky break for me. But they talked about that a lot, Larry and Jerry, hiring people who are an easy hang because you spend so much of your day with these people, you you know, it doesn't matter how brilliant somebody is as a writer. If you don't like hanging out with them, it's not going to work. And Yeah, and that's one of the things about the comedy club scene, which uh, a lot of you who aren't in the business should know. And I'm sure it's true of other professions as well. You go to these comedy clubs and it's the weirdest thing. You normally go places to put in the work. Yeah. You want to put in the work. But 50% of the work a lot of times back then was creating the relationships and making the people around you feel safe to be around you, that you were a good person. And then when you went on stage, if you were a great performer, it made them respect you and want to hang out with you more. These days, I think comedians are, aren't as good at the hang, and sometimes they're a little more adversarial and they 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 kind of roasting you a little bit but there still are certain places where the hang is really great uh and we all know those places uh, you know the comedy cellar in new york or carolines in the right, area right. there or maybe at the uh, improv here or the laugh factory yeah and sometimes the comedy store if you can take the darkness <laughs> um but keep going here so you're back you pass in these comedy clubs right what's the next thing that the happens? next step that happened was i was a junior in college in bingham Paul had graduated 
and I had to make a choice. Do I take this opportunity at the comic strip and start working here, but how do I satisfy my Jewish parents and become a college graduate at the same time? So I transfer. So I asked my folks if it was okay if I could pursue my dream, and I transferred to Queens College. Of course, my joke about Queens College is it wasn't very hard to finish school because Queens is a very tough school. You know, you need like a pen to get in. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I really do credit my parents a lot because when I told them I wanted to do this, uh, you know, any any parent could have been like, this is a Meshuggah kind of dream, Carol, and finish school and stop fucking around. My dad was like, you know what, Carol, you got to strike while the iron's hot. I remember my dad saying that. And also, uh, very proud that he also said, you know, stand-up is a big cash business, and you can't beat cash, Carol. <laughs> so he was smart in that way, too. But um, And then I started to take my comedy journey, which was I, I would go to Queens College during the day and finish, which wasn't very difficult. And then at night I would um, hang out and go on. And, you know, another thing I talk a lot about in the book that's specific to comedians, but also, uh, you know, uh, so important for all of businesses. The only way you get good as a comedian is to suck a lot. You have to really be bad and eat it a lot to get good. And there's no way around it. Nobody just goes on and is great all the time. And you get better by being bad. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. It's true, and it's very, very difficult because in other professions, you can make mistakes and be bad, and maybe one person sees your mistake, or maybe five people in the office see your mistake. You make a mistake as a comedian, and you know 200 people see it, and all your peers see it, and granted, they laugh at your demise up right, there. Right. They, they love it because they want to see that. I think the most amazing thing as a comedian, you said no one, and I'm going to go a little toe-to-toe -to -toe with you on this. We've all seen those examples of the one-in-a-thousand comic who goes on on his first time on stage, gets a standing ovation, and never looks back. Right. And those are the ones that are the rarest of the rare. Like the late John Panette, even though an entertainer and also yeah. did the final episode of Seinfeld, by the way. I remember I was there at Nick's Comedy Stop and he came in. He was wearing a suit. He was like 350 pounds, this baby-faced accountant. Mm -hmm. 
just got a standing ovation and he just started headlining right away. He wow. Never had, he never even had five minutes or whatever. Yeah. So now that is the rare. But it's very, very rare. Yeah, that's like the meteor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because what's great about failing is you learn how to fix the mistake. Like as a comic, the first time you heard people talking in the audience or you're losing their energy, you know, you feel you're losing them. Um, you have to learn to come up with tricks to get them back. You know, another thing I talk about in the book is I think that comics, especially good comics, are very good people, people, because when you're on stage, it's really cracked me up. I opened for Seinfeld in San Diego and my uh, partner's cousins came and the show was great. I mean, opening for him is a dream. The audience is fantastic. And uh, my partner's cousin emailed me and said, I don't know if you could hear the audience tonight, but they loved you. <laughs> you know, and that's another misconception that I think is so funny. about. Uh, it's like, oh, I heard them. I'm hearing my ears are tuned to every second of when I'm out there. But what's great about it, what it teaches you as a comic that you need to learn as a person in business is it's a conversation with people. It's not you performing and they're just out there in the dark. Uh, I'm up there thinking, oh, I'm losing them. Maybe I better talk to the audience a little bit or, ooh, that joke really threw them or they didn't get that joke. It, you know, it moving around because, you know, the other thing is I'm sure you've been in so many meetings with someone where you're like someone else is speaking and you're like, is this person not getting that they're, they've glazed over their, you know, the audience in this room is not getting it at all. And someone, you know, comics are very adept at switching gears because it's your life up on stage, you know? Yeah. Buddy Hackett used to call it the monitor. Yeah. Internal monitor. Really? Always. Yes. Hmm. And so take me through when you knew that I'm never going to do anything else besides <laughs> comedy and comedy related right. business. What was the moment that happened that you're like, it's over? No more Queens College, yeah, no yeah. more day job. <laughs> I am in it now. Well, okay. So my first year, while well, I'm learning, finished my degree. Then I got a job as a, a receptionist for a private eye. And um, I talk about this too because... Um, you know, it's an important lesson in you don't ask, you don't get, which is another one of my tenets of business. Um, you know, I think just as, as a sidebar for a second, one of my biggest foundation pieces of business and being in the business as long as I have and continuing for many years on, I hope, is you have to be tenacious and you have to go after what you want and you have to be the squeaky wheel. But it's very also tempered with you can't be the pain in the ass. It's a fine line that you have to find, but you have to be super aggressive Um but anyway, with this job, I saw this ad for this guy who wanted a typist. I was good from high school typing. Private eye. I thought this is going to be exciting, you know. Even though I'm typing, it'll be in a private eye's office. And the hours were 9 to 5, and I'm thinking, I can't do this, though, because... <laughs> I go on stage, I would have spots that were literally like 1.10 a.m., you know, 2.30 p.m. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I went and I interviewed with this private eye, and he was like, I'll hire you. Your typing is good enough. It was people who, like, were taking 
polygraph tests uh-huh. for places working as diverse as Burger King and escort services. So <laughs> that waiting room was really interesting. It was like a Fellini movie. But what was great was when he hired me, I said to him, would you consider this? Would you consider if I worked 11 at 6 without a lunch? And for some reason, this guy was like, okay, get the work done. You can do it. So 11 a.m., I could still be a comic and make it, you know, during the day. And I'd eat my, you know, lunch at my desk and it's fine. And it worked out great. And then I just started to get these Jersey gigs, which were 40 bucks cash a night. And Phil Selman. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that was, you know, Jim Balazzo's. Jim Balazzo's. All these bookers. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, those memories of those, um, and I, God, reminisce about, you know, a guy picked me up once for a Jersey gig. I get in his car and I'm like, um, you don't have a rear view mirror. And the guy was like, honey, I get it all from the sides. (laughs) It's like, okay, here we go. Um, Headed for the Jersey Turnpike. But, you know, I started to make enough money that it was like, a meager living, but enough that it was like, I really think I can give up my day job. And from then, you know, I've never looked back, but it's a very, if you talk about the high points of a long career, definitely the day that I, and you know, I liked my boss, George, the private eye, he was very nice, but to not have to do something to supplement your, you know, when I went to day one, I said, if I can make my living, being a comedian, I didn't have aspirations yet of being a writer, but if I can do this from comedy, I've hit pay dirt. I mean, that's it. And I still think to many people listening out there, to be able to make your living at what you love to do is hitting pay dirt. And boy, is it ever. I always say that if you had all the money in the world and the health of yourself and your family, but you had to go to work and do something 40, 50 hours a week, what would it be? And if you figure out what that is... That's what you should be going yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but when you're starting, like who were the comedians that like you looked up to? And I mean, you looked up to, they were the ones who were like working in the big theaters yeah. and the arena. And you were like, man, will I ever be as funny as these people? Or did you always know you'd be as funny? No, I mean, when you go into this or anything, a creative business, you really take your life in your hands because you don't have the confidence yet to know that it's going to work. It's just really a shot in the dark. But I always talk about that when I started, Elaine Boozer was a major, major influence to me. And I really feel like with the history of comedy, I feel I, I, I'm angry that more people don't, that she's not more known in the because in the history of comedy because she was such an important figure and so seminal in so many ways because between Joan Rivers and Tody Fields and Phyllis Diller Elaine was the first kind of modern single woman doing material that wasn't am I right ladies kind of material it wasn't segregating the audience. She went up, she did her thing. That's not to say she didn't talk about issues that were relevant to women, but she went out like one of the guys. And that's not to say she, you know, still feminine and attractive and all that, but smart, funny, well-crafted jokes. And when I saw her on the cover of New York Magazine, and she was right before I started, um, I thought, wow, there's somebody doing what I want to do. 
you know, a, a very modern version of what women are thinking about. And so she was a star to me. And she was the bridge, for those of you listening, she was, in my opinion, the bridge between Toadie Fields, Joan Rivers. Absolutely. And these artists and the newer generation of comedians who she inspired. And she was fantastic. She really was. And I'm so glad you mentioned her. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had her on? I haven't had her on yet. I know she doesn't do a lot of press. So mm-hmm. I don't want to say that, like, oh, have her on, because she probably, <laughs> I probably, she probably wouldn't do it. But she's uh, so, such an important figure in comedy. If people don't know her, go watch her um, live now or watch her YouTubes. And, you know, I think you'll be stupefied because 40 years ago, she was really revolutionary absolutely yeah and, and there was a guy named david say that brings back a lot of memories yeah because he was a hot shot at catch rising star when i went there and i remember he came over to me because auditioning i did a bit about uh somebody ripping off a mattress tag and a thing about the cops you know <laughs> pulling them over and stuff like that and he kind of cornered me you know that's a lenny bruce bit or something like that and i was like i don't know mr say you know like <laughs> yeah you can't do that you can't do bits that other people do okay okay no problem you know but it was kind of like um i'm gonna go on a limb because something stays with me and i'm, I'm always scared when i say this because you're gonna say oh bear that wasn't my bit or whatever i seem to remember a bit where you talked about this stayed with me God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end this. Uh, you'll end this podcast and and quit after I ruin this one. <laughs> but something about riding a bus or a train and that empty seat next to you. Yes. And it's like I, I remember this vividly because you know you had advice for people like you know because there's always somebody <laughs> sitting next to you where you you know I'm just paraphrasing where you can't see your arms for four hours. So how do you keep the seat empty? Person walks up. Yes. And they look down at the seat and they say, "Excuse me, ma'am, is anybody sitting there?" And you look up and you say, "No." one except the lord that's right <laughs> i'll never forget that see i yes. remember these things you know what's so nice about that and thank you so much you know i love show people i really do you know i mean we smile when we are low i don't know if you've heard that or not but no i really have an affinity for all of show business people and you know josh charles who I love from The Good Wife, and I've done a few benefits with him. Whenever, I've, I ran into him at an Emmy thing, and he just came over to me and he said, you know, whenever I go on a plane, I think of your <laughs> Lord bit, Carol. And you know how that made, like, not even my day, like, the rest of my year, you know? It's so wonderful. So thank you for remembering oh, my I, I bits so that I still m- do. I remember so many of your stuff. I remember something where it was a wink-wink to something was like, I don't have any children, but, well... None that I know of. That's right. Something yes. like that, right? That, mm-hmm. was... that was probably of my stand-up. That's the thing that people remember the most. Oh, yes. So and then I had to go and ruin that and adopt a child <laughs> and take away the best bit of my act. <laughs> That's okay. There'll be more of the. You'll yeah. have another hour of material about <laughs> right. <on> adoption. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. 
He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world, many of which you'll hear on the next three weeks of podcasts. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session today at barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite 
for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.